All right, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 tonight. Matthew chapter 5. In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, this morning we, uh, we looked at a set of verses in which Jesus presented the idea of reconciling yourselves to your brothers, to your neighbors. And tonight we're going to uh, keep looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in verses 27 through 32 as he talks about the idea of purity, having a pure heart in the eyes of God. Um, if you'll remember, I shared with you this morning, in this section of Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus six times quoted or referred to a law given to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. So here in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 27 through 32, we read again about Jesus teaching, preaching to people who knew the Old Testament, who knew the book of Deuteronomy, yet they weren't following it. They weren't obeying what God had told them to do. In fact, many times they were justifying themselves, their actions, their attitudes, even the words that they said by saying, well, you know, we're keeping the letter of the law, but still their hearts were not involved in doing what God had wanted them to do. So according to Jesus, there's more than just knowing the command and being able to say the command. You actually have to keep the command and perform the command. So here's Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Sorry, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So again, Jesus presents some weighty commands here and some weighty explanations of Old Testament uh, commandments. It's in this section of his sermon in Matthew chapter uh, 5, verses 21 through 48, that Christ explained the full meaning of the Old Testament law. Uh, I don't believe that he was adding to God's word, nor do I believe he was altering God's word. I just believe he was explaining it for people who were there. Um, this is the, the word that he quotes from Deuteronomy was the word of God given to Moses and through Moses to God's people so that they could obey God's commands, bring blessing upon themselves, and bring honor to God through the way that they live. So in, in making this comment, as he does at least six times here in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, you have heard, or it was said, what he's doing is refuting the loopholes that these Jewish people have made in God's law, right? So this morning we talked about the command, the sixth commandment, do not murder, you shall not murder. 
and how even if we haven't committed the act of killing another human being in hatred, if we have an attitude of bitterness, if we're harboring hatred in our heart, that's the same attitude that a murderer has within their own hearts. Jesus does not say, if you're mad at somebody, you might as well go ahead and kill them because it's the same thing. Rather, what he's trying to communicate is this. The attitude of your heart is what God sees, even if you choose to sit on that action, even if nobody else hears a word spoken out of your mouth, God knows the evil intent of your heart. So Jesus is really talking about a higher law in Matthew chapter 5. He's presenting the law in all of its fullness. In doing so, he's, he's uh, refuting the loopholes the religious Jews had made, and he's rebuking the self-righteous hypocrites that are in the crowd. Because there'd be a lot of folks there that said, well, I haven't committed murder, so I haven't broken the commandment. Or I haven't committed adultery, so I haven't broken the commandment. Or I've been married to my spouse this whole time. I haven't broken the commandment, so I've got to be good. I've got to be in the right. But what Jesus does is goes back to the attitude in our hearts. So here's, uh, here's what Jesus quotes first from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery, or you shall not commit adultery. Uh, again, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, we have this command. We also have it recorded in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Um, just in case you're curious, Exodus chapter 20 is when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is when Moses repeats these Ten Commandments to Israel so they can hear it again. Um, in fact, we've got to hear things multiple times in order for us to remember it. We call it repetition. You guys ever have to do that when you were going to school growing up? Sometimes you didn't even realize you were doing it. You remember the alphabet song you learned in preschool or kindergarten? <laughs> All right, there you go. Jonathan's got it. But the reason that your teachers had you sing that is so you could say it over and over again. The more you said it, the more you remembered it. So Jesus um, is quoting here something that these people were already familiar with. The, a Jew could list the Ten Commandments. They knew that the seventh was do not commit adultery. But Jesus takes it a step further. So he references the seventh commandment, but then he rebukes an attitude or an action that takes place in the heart even if the letter of the law is not broken. Here's what Jesus says in, uh, in verse 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is explaining once again that even if you haven't physically committed the act of adultery with another person, if you've looked at somebody with lust in your heart, your heart is not right before the Lord. You're impure. There are evil thoughts. There are evil attitudes that you have within yourself. Now, lest you ladies who are here think that Jesus is only singling out the men when he's talking about this, there's just a common way to express oneself. We still do it to some degree in our day and time, um, although gender inclusivity has been a big thing the past few years. If you were going to give, uh, give an example or talk about somebody, you could just use the, the pronouns he and him, right? That doesn't mean you're not talking about women at all. It just That's what you would do to communicate something. Like I said, our, our culture is kind of changing. 
And so we're, we're saying he or she and him or her a lot of times. But when Jesus is talking to the crowd here, there are women who are also present. And so he's not just talking to the men, he's talking to everybody. If you look at someone else with lust for them in your heart, then you have already committed adultery with them in your heart. In fact, that might sound like it's a little bit over the top, but I want you to think about how the process of adultery takes place to begin with. Proverbs chapter 6, uh, verse 25. If, if you want to flip over there, you can. If you don't, you can just listen along. But Proverbs chapter 6, verse 5 talks about this idea of adultery being conceived in the heart. That is, you choose to continue looking at something you shouldn't, and then your heart goes astray, and then you commit an action that is evil in the sight of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 6, uh, verse 20, 25, well, actually verses 24 and 25 says this, To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty, where? In your heart. Nor let her capture you with her eyelids. Right? So don't let her wink at you or blink at you or, or try to seduce you in some way. The author of the Proverbs is trying to give some wisdom here to those who would read this instruction. Don't let your heart look at something that it ought not look at because when your heart loves something or lusts after something is the better word that it's not supposed to love, then your heart is pulled away from the Lord and you disobey his command. Jesus says, whoever looks at a woman to lust at her, he has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, James chapter 1 talks about this idea of lust bringing about sin and the consequences of sin being death. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15, listen to this. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Jesus knew that adultery was a heart issue. Adultery stemmed from a person having an impure heart. There were impure motives that were at work and that were at play. So instead of Jesus just saying, don't commit adultery, he's saying, don't lust don't do it. And this was really at the heart of the seventh commandment that God had given in the Old Testament. Whoever looks at a woman to lust at her is, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, kind of like we talked about with murder this morning, Jesus does not say, if you've lusted after somebody, then you might as well go ahead and engage in sexual intercourse with them. That's not what he's talking about. He's trying to point out that the attitudes of our hearts, the things that we go after, the things that we long for instead of longing for God, is what causes us to go down an irreversible road of sin. If we won't start going down the road, we won't end up dead at the end, at the dead end. There's nowhere else to go at that point. Jesus says, don't go that direction. We see this, uh, see, see this idea that's presented in Proverbs 6 and in James chapter 1. Uh, play itself out in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You don't have to turn there. I'm not going to read the verses, but it's the story of David committing adultery with Bathsheba. And maybe you re remember the story. Actually, I told you we weren't going to turn there. Let's turn there because uh, there's, there's a couple things 
I can point out to you and show you. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, this is a King David engaging in an extramarital affair with Bathsheba, who was herself a married woman. Um, here's, here's 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're gonna, I'm just going to start reading in verse 2. If you didn't turn there, you can, you can listen. Now, one, now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. Now, I want you to think about this scenario, this situation in which David finds himself. First, he should have war with the other kings um, when he was supposed to be doing what God was doing, but he was kind of lazy at this point. He also probably shouldn't have been sleeping in the middle of the day and getting up in the afternoon, but that's what he was doing. And so he, he got up at the evening, and then just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, he saw something that he shouldn't have. I mean, as the king, your palace is going to be bigger than everybody else's house in town. I mean, it's, that's just logic from history, right? So David goes out, and, you know, he's probably just kind of standing there. You guys know how it is when you have one of those long afternoon naps, and, oh, you got to work out the kinks, and he goes, whoa, who's that? At that point, he's got the choice to make, right? He sees something that he shouldn't have seen because he's in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he could have turned away and said, no, I'm not going to go there. But instead, he kept looking. In fact, he kept watching. And as he gazes upon this woman, a thought comes to his mind. Oh, it'd be nice if she was here in my palace. Verse 3, David sent and inquired about the woman. In fact, this lust that was conceived after he saw this beautiful woman begins to turn into an investigation of how he can commit adultery. He sent and inquired about the woman, and somebody tells David. I mean, this should just be red lights going off. Warning, David, don't go here. Somebody says, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. When she came to him, he laid with her. When she had purif and when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. So we see that David's lust in his heart led to an immoral action, and it resulted in a serious consequence. This is the king of the nation. Uriah was one of the generals in his army. And while his general was out fighting for him in battle, David had brought his wife into his palace and had slept with her, and now she was with child. Let me ask you this question. When did David's sin begin? Did it begin when Bathsheba came and got in the bed next to him? No. Did a... Uh, did it begin when David asked, you know, hey, who is, uh, who is this Bathsheba woman? No. Did it begin when, uh, when, when David went out on his roof and said, hey, I like what I see now. That, that's when it started. That's when the lust took root in his heart. This is why Jesus is teaching that the attitude of one's heart when one lusts after a person 
is so wrong. It produces immoral thoughts. Those immoral thoughts produce immoral actions. So Jesus gives uh, two recommendations. Matthew chapter 5. He says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery with her in her heart. So here's what you should do, according to Jesus. You ready for this? Jesus says, if your right eye is what's causing you to stumble, just tear it out, throw it away from you. If you've looked at somebody with lust in your heart, just pluck your eyeballs out of your head. And uh, because it's better to, to lose one of your body parts than it is for your whole body to be thrown into hell. A little much, isn't it? And then Jesus goes on to say this. If it's your right hand, that makes you stumble. All right, so we, we've got the eye with the lust, and then we've got the hand with the action. If your right hand makes you stumble, you cut it off, throw it away from you. It's better for you to lose one of your body parts than for your whole body to go into hell. This is a little difficult to understand, isn't it? I mean, look, here's reality. Every single person at some point, especially men, have looked at a woman with lust in their hearts. And with women, this concept is fleshed out a little bit differently. In fact, most, most of the time, um, guys are guilty of, of looking at pornography and guilty of masturbation. But women don't ever like to talk about those things. Rather, the, the temptation for women is graphic novels or this emotional bond that they have with a character on TV or somebody that they work with. These are the lustful types of attitudes that flesh themselves out in a woman's heart when she's not loving the Lord, but rather lusting after men. Jesus is saying, look, this is a serious issue and it needs to be dealt with seriously. Um, I think that, like most biblical scholars, Jesus is using dramatic hyperbole to make his point and to state his case. Um, I told you that, that uh, every, every man in this, this earth, on God's green earth, has looked at a woman with lust in his heart before. I haven't plucked an eyeball out of my head. I don't know if you guys have noticed that or not. And I have both of my hands still intact on my body. So what's Jesus meaning, right? If he's not saying, take, a, take an ice pick and stick your eyeball and pull it out of your head. What, what's he mean? Jesus is communicating this idea that the only way to deal with sin is to put it to death. Really, the only way for you to not give in to temptation, if you're to not give in to lust, is to take drastic measures. Drastic measures. To do something absolutely crazy and ridiculous in the eyes of other people. I imagine that when the, the original hearers heard Jesus preaching this message, they went, well, Jesus, I would love to have a pure heart in the eyes of God, but I'm not taking out my own eyes just for that. Jesus, I, I would love it if I could raise holy hands and worship the Lord, sing his praise and pray to him, but Jesus, I'm not cutting off a hand if that's what it takes. But here's, uh, here's what Jesus wants us to, to realize as his followers. We cannot love him and have lust in our heart for another person. Look, David and, David and God had a special and unique relationship in the Old Testament, didn't they? 
Uh, David was a man after God's own heart. David loved the Lord. The Lord loved David. But in the moment that David glanced at Bathsheba and then continued to gaze at her with lust in his heart, was he loving God in that moment? No, he wasn't. He was lusting after a woman that was not his. Somebody else's wife. And it might be real, the temptation might be for us to say, well, I still love God, I, I just slipped up, I just made a mistake. Guys, David's eyeballs didn't just slip over to Bathsheba and accidentally stay there. Um, this, this is a terrible thing to laugh at. You're probably going to feel bad once I tell you the, the example, but this happened. Um, there, was a, there was a teenage girl that was coming to youth group with me when I was growing up, and uh, her and her boyfriend... Um, had ended up engaging in sexual activity as teenagers, and she became pregnant. And um, it ended up being this huge blow-up argument one day between my, my youth pastor and her. He was, just, he was trying to talk to her and help her through some, through some things, and her parents were there too, and every, every student in the youth group heard it. <laughs> she said, well, I'm sorry that I'm pregnant, but it was just by accident. I mean, look, I don't think I have to go through this, but it's not an accident. Um, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin's conceived, it gives birth to, to death. When, when sin is born, it, it goes to death. Here's reality. Our hearts want things that we're not supposed to want many times, and because we want those things, we do things we're not supposed to do. Jesus says the only way to deal with this is to kill it. To put it to death. Paul talked about this over in Romans chapter 6 when he said, Consider you, the members of your body dead to sin and alive in Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 11. Only way to deal with sin is to kill it. Is to die to it. To die to yourself. If you don't deal with sin by putting it to death, sin is going to kill you. This is what Jesus is teaching. When it comes to lust. Why does he do this? Because everybody deals with it. At some point or another. So it may cause you to take drastic measures in your life. Right? I hadn't plucked out an eyeball or cut off a hand. But I do have this wonderful old flip phone. People make fun of me when I have this thing. But look, it, I don't face the temptation to pull up pornography. I don't waste a whole bunch of time scrolling through social media, and I can actually pay attention to people when I'm talking to them because I'm not sitting there texting and having a conversation eye to eye at the same time, right? Um, you may have to do some drastic things in your life in order to remove the evil, the temptation that's present. And really, if you stop and think about it, John MacArthur pointed this out. If you took Jesus' word literally and you plucked out your eyeball and cut off your hand, it would still be possible for you to lust. Jesus is communicating that this is a heart issue. This is a heart issue. And then he keeps teaching, and the reason that I've connected verses 31 and 32 together with, with this uh, command not to commit adultery is because Jesus seems to do so. Um, Jesus says, you have heard five times, but then verse 31 is the only time he, he uses the phrase, it was said, to introduce an Old Testament quotation. 
And really this idea of divorce and adultery were connected, especially in this culture. Um, so here, here, here's verse 31. Jesus says, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery himself. So there's another command here that's quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. This is not one of the Ten Commandments. This is a command that was given to later to Moses and to the people of Israel because some of them had gotten to the point where they were dealing with sin in relationships with other people, even in their own homes amongst spouses. So it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let, her give, let, uh, let him give her a certificate of divorce. In the Old Testament day and time, it was the, the man who divorced a woman. You might like that, you might hate it, it's just how it was. Um, in reality, this certificate of divorce who was given to a woman was not just meant to say she's committed adultery, everybody ostracized her, it was also something that would protect her in the future if she repented of her sins and of the lifestyle that she had chosen. Um, people would know that she did not have a husband that she belonged to, right? Somebody else was going to, uh, to come along and, and join themselves to this, to this woman. Um, but it, it's interesting to note that neither God the Father to Moses nor Jesus here to his disciples say you have to divorce somebody if you don't like them. That's not the command, right? Just like it wasn't the command if you hate somebody, you might as well go ahead and kill them because you got anger in your heart. Or if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you might as well go ahead and, and commit the act of adultery with her because you're an adulterer. Jesus isn't saying to people, get divorced. If somebody's done, you're wrong. Rather, the command was, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That is, there was a spiritual process that was involved in the act of divorce. Rather, Jesus would teach this in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, that is fornication, immorality, adultery, right? Synonymous terms here with this unchastity. He makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman, he commits adultery. There was an attitude that Jesus wanted to correct in people's hearts when it came to this matter as well. It came up a time in, uh, in New Testament time period when the Jews were divorcing their spouses. The, these men who called themselves spiritual leaders of their homes, God followers and God fearers, were sending their wives away with a certificate of divorce. Um, it, and some commentators and preachers have made a, a big deal about uh, a few things that probably were not a big deal. Um, you, you couldn't divorce your wife because she didn't fry your eggs the right way in the morning, okay? Uh, there's some people that have, have said that. We don't really have that type of evidence. Uh, what we do see in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, is that if a man married a woman and he realized that she had been with another man before they were married, he could, under Mosaic law, write her a certificate of divorce. He, he could send her away, right? Um, this was what God allowed that still didn't mean it was what God approved. 
You guys know the difference? Um, there's some things that I approve of my kids doing. There's some things that I allow my kids to do. And then there's some things that I abhor. Like my, my kids are not going to do that, right? At least I'm going to teach them not to do that. With the Lord, there are things that he approves, which is one man and one woman in covenant marriage for life, right? Then there are things that he abhors. Men don't marry men. Women don't marry women. Um, he abhors adultery. And then there are things that God allows because of the hardness of people's hearts and because of the sinfulness in people's lives. The Lord allowed Moses and allowed these people, Israel, to have this idea, this concept of divorce. That's not God's plan and God's purpose for marriage, but he allowed it. So here's this uh, scenario that Jesus will give later on. As he's teaching in Matthew chapter 19. I want you to turn over there with me. Matthew chapter 19. In verses 3 through 10. And this is a pretty weighty subject. Matthew chapter 19 and verses 3 through 10. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus is quoting from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Verse 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So Jesus doesn't even say, you can divorce your spouse. So this kind of, I imagine, frustrates them, aggravates them a little bit. And in verse 7, they ask the question, Then why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. It's like Jesus is quoting from that passage when he was teaching in Matthew 5. Here's the answer Jesus gave. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, that is unchastity, unfaithfulness, adultery, fornication, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Uh, the disciples pull him away. Mark chapter 10 presents that little tidbit of information and, and here's what they say in Matthew 19, verse 10. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, then it's better for us to just not even get married in the first place. This is how strongly Jesus taught that one man and one woman should be in covenant commitment for a lifetime. And I'm going to share the, these things with you. And I know we're treading in some weighty waters tonight and some, some deep area because some of these things just hit close to home, whether it's lust and adultery, uh, divorce, uh, whatever the case may be. So I don't want to make light of this at all, but I do want to point this out to you. You know, the same Pharisees who protested this idea of, well, why, why can we not divorce our wives are the same ones who are committing adultery in their hearts and they're lusting after women. Do you see the connection here? 
on one hand, they were saying, well, we're, we're keeping the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. But man, I tell you what, if, if she says this, if she does this, we're writing it and sending it away. In fact, Moses allowed us, if, if she's unfaithful, if we see something in her that we don't approve, we just write that certificate of divorce out and then she's gone. We've done what God wanted us to do. That's not what God wanted these people to do. It just revealed the evil impurity in their heart. Man, we as people are so wicked. If we really stop and think about it. In fact, Jesus told them that the only reason Moses told the people that they could write a certificate of divorce is because of the hardness of their own hearts. In Christianity, you know, people have talked about the, the Christian taboo of divorce. But I'd like to share this concept with you tonight. I really think in Christianity, and really in, in broader circles, when we're talking about marriage in the culture, the seven-letter taboo word is not divorce, it's forgive. I mean, just think about this with me for a moment. Do you know that there's some people I've, I've talked to that have said, I'm leaving her or I'm leaving him because he or she committed adultery. And Jesus said, I had to. Jesus didn't say you had to. Jesus didn't want you to. God didn't say you had to. God said, I'll allow it. If that's what you want to do, if your heart is hurt that deeply. Because look, those things do hurt people. I mean, you, you guys know that? Adultery and unfaithfulness in a marriage break down trust. That relationship is difficult to restore. In fact, I'd say it's impossible to restore apart from the grace of God. Yet again, we find ourselves in a place as people where we cannot live up to this higher law that Jesus presents. Jesus' higher law is not just don't commit adultery and not just write out a certificate of divorce when you need to. Rather, it's be pure in heart. Don't lust after someone else's spouse. Don't lust after someone who is not your spouse. Don't fall into the trap of saying that divorce is just an acceptable social phenomenon in our day and time and we should just look over it and pass it by. Rather be pure in the eyes of God, not just acceptable in the estimation of society. You know, there's, there's two things, and I, I know I've, I've mentioned them. We've been looking at what Jesus taught about them. But there's two things in our society that have become acceptable by and large. We probably wouldn't just outright say that they're acceptable, but people do. The statistic is that 9 out of 10 men in America are addicted to pornography and that the other one's lying. So, whew, we got that to deal with, don't we? The second thing is this, it, the divorce rate has just become more and more and more rampant. In fact, that divorce rate has led to some other things that we hadn't thought about as a society and a culture. I'd really dare say that homosexual marriages have become more acceptable because we've allowed 
divorce and not just allowed it, but we, we've accepted that as just part of who we are as a people. And in fact, we've, we've got younger people now who out of rightness in their own hearts and minds think, I'm not going to get married to somebody and then engage in sexual activity with them and then live together so that we can build our own home and our own life. Rather, what I'm going to do, because I saw my parents just near about kill each other and I had to grow up in a home where we had four Christmases because I had so many step-parents that instead of committing to somebody in covenant relationship for the rest of my life, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live with this person for the next six months, for the next year, next three years, and then we'll get married. Guys, this is not God's plan. It's not God's design. It's, it's not his purpose. The reason that Jesus is pointing these things out is because he knows they hit home. He's trying to show us that his higher law is God's standard, his original standard. The problem is that we as people all fall short of God's standard. Look, I'll raise my hand and tell you, me included. But this isn't the only reason Jesus is sharing about this higher law. He wants people to see that they're sinners who need God's grace, but he also wants them to grab hold of God's grace with both hands and everything they've got. He wants them to look right in his face and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, there's lust, there's unforgiveness in my heart. Jesus, will you forgive me? Jesus, will you, will you give me grace, the grace that I need? If God wants us to be pure in our hearts before him, then we've got to come to the understanding that the only way we can be pure in heart is if we confess that we're impure in heart and that we need God's grace to forgive us and to clean us from the inside out. I've quoted this verse to you many times. I'll share it with you again tonight. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, that means if we agree with God that our sin is sin, and if we admit that what we've done is wrong, then he will forgive us of our sins, and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful, and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus is the one who lived up to this higher law. That's the why, why he's the one who could teach about it and talk about it. He's also the same one who offers you and me and all the world forgiveness when we can't live up to it. And if we receive his forgiveness, then what happens from that point on is he enables us and he empowers us to live our lives in the way that he wants to. So that you no longer have to go back to the old habits so that you no longer have to harbor this unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. You can forgive because you've been forgiven in Christ. You don't have to lust after other men or women. Because you have found satisfaction in Christ that is so much better than any sexual pleasure this world would have to offer. I'm going to ask you this question tonight in closing. Have you confessed your sin to the Lord? And do you know that he's forgiven you? I mean, look, I, I'll say this plainly so that you hear it and so that you know it. Whether you've been divorced, gotten a divorce, cheated on somebody, committed adultery, or lusted with somebody after somebody in your own heart, 
Jesus will forgive you if you'll confess your sin. Many of you have already confessed that sin. Don't drag it back out. Jesus has forgiven you. Grow in your faith. Grow in God's grace and move on. But let's not keep going back to the old habits, the old hurts, the old hang-ups. Walk in God's grace as he's shown it to us through Christ. And live according to this higher law. I go back to what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Consider the members of your body dead to sin. And what? Alive in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for this night. We've been able to study your word. And I pray that you would continue to work in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, I pray that as we've sat here tonight underneath the teaching of Jesus, that we would choose to put sin to death. That we would choose not to allow the, the members of our bodies, including our minds, including our hearts, to be carried away by lust. That we would choose not to hold a grudge. That we'd choose not to go back and dig up the past from former relationships with, with other spouses. But Lord, that we just confess open and honestly our sin to you and that we would allow Christ to forgive us and to cleanse us. And if that sin has already been confessed, that that cleansing that we experienced would be fresh and new as we remember your grace for each and every one of us tonight. We thank you so much for loving us in spite of the fact that our hearts have been impure. We pray that you would make us your pure and refined people, holy in your eyes. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.